You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, is copping some serious backlash right now. Right, welcome back. So hold on to your seats, my friends. Meghan Markle's in the headlines for stretching the truth again. Also, tonight on the show, the Pope is Catholic and bears do defecate in the woods. That backlash has come after a profile in the high-end New York-based magazine The Cut, a piece that has left even those who are fans of the former actress turned duchess wondering why every time she has the chance to let the world see who she is and what she really stands for, it seems to turn on her. Today we look at the new era of Meghan and why the duchess seems to be struggling to find her place. But first, your news headlines for Monday, September 5. The number of reported COVID cases in Australia has dropped to the lowest level since before Christmas. 5,841 cases were reported across the country yesterday. The last time that figure was that low was in the days before Christmas 2021, when there were just over 5,700 cases. But these figures don't include the Northern Territory or Queensland, who've stopped reporting weekend COVID statistics. The drop in numbers comes just before the country moves from seven days of COVID isolation to five, and masks are no longer required on domestic flights, both new measures kicking in this coming Friday. Petrol retailers are being warned that they're being closely watched with the fuel excise cuts set to end on September 29. The previous government cut the tax when fuel prices started to soar due to global pressures, slicing 22 cents per litre at the Bowser. There are calls for the Albanese government to do the same. The Prime Minister last week saying his government was examining a potential cut in the October budget. Meanwhile, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission has been asked to monitor petrol retailers to ensure there's no anti-competitive behaviour when the excise ends. There's a little bit of cost of living relief on the way for those who are on welfare payments in Australia, with those payments set to get a boost from indexation increases. The age and disability support pensions, carer payments, job seeker, parenting payments, ab study and rent assistance will all increase. Treasurer Jim Chalmers saying it's important that payments keep up with inflation. Mr Chalmers acknowledged that it will still be tough for those receiving welfare payments, but this will be the largest indexation increase in more than 30 years for allowances and 12 years for pensions. Former President Donald Trump has called current President Joe Biden an enemy of the state at a rally in Pennsylvania. Trump was responding to a speech that Biden had given just days before, where he slammed Republicans who embraced the Make America Great Again ideology, saying it represents an extremism that threatens the very foundation of the republic. Trump saying it was the most vicious, hateful and divisive speech ever delivered by an American president. Mr Trump also told supporters at the rally that the search of his home by the FBI recently was a travesty of justice, warning it would produce a backlash the likes of which nobody has ever seen. 
Four people have been rescued from a ride at Movie World on the Gold Coast with firefighters called in to remove them after they were left suspended 10 metres in the air. The Scooby-Doo ride stopped around 3.30pm yesterday, the park explaining that it was due to a guest behaviour incident, believed to have been triggered when they removed an item of clothing that caused the carriage to jam. A Movie World spokesperson said the guests were safe and made it down without injury. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. In a world where you're the mixed kid of a full-on white neighborhood, that's what you get. Yeah. Look, and this is part of why when I was putting this conversation together, I had to talk to you. That's Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, speaking with pop icon Mariah Carey on her Spotify original podcast, Archetypes. Along with the release of the second episode of her show, she invited journalist Alison P. Davis to join her at her $14.65 US million home in Montecito in California to spend the day and learn a bit more about the woman we first really knew as Rachel Zane in the TV show Suits before she met her prince, the man she calls H, and married into the Windsor dynasty. Since becoming a household name, We've learned a lot about Megan's advocacy. See, I had been in school watching a TV show in elementary school, and um, this commercial came on with the tagline for this dishwashing liquid, and the tagline said, women all over America are fighting greasy pots and pans. (laughs) It just wasn't right, and something needed to be done. We've heard about her life inside the palace. Harry and I are in the car, and he says, okay, well, my, my grandmother's there, so you're going to meet her. I go, oh, great. I love grand- I loved my grandmother. I used to take care of my grandma. This is great. He goes, right, do you know how to curtsy? What? I didn't think that's what happens inside. And yeah. I said, but it's your grandmother. He goes, it's the queen. Wow. We've also been promised a Netflix special and much more revealing insight into the woman who was supposed to become a princess and then be quiet about it. But not much of that has come to fruition. When Meghan and Harry decided they didn't want the royal life, taking their son Archie and moving from Britain to America to start a new life as a private entity, where they could make their own money, forge their own path, say whatever they wanted to say without the shackles of the firm, as the royal machine is referred to, holding them back, we thought that it would be a moment of release and revelation. That Meghan, who'd shown us that she was a powerful force for making the lives of women better, would be able to become more human, more open and more available than the times we saw her every minute movement scrutinised for whether she was worthy of the royal title. For fans of Meghan both before and after she became the Duchess, like Charlie, Mamma Mia's lifestyle writer, there was a mad respect for a woman who seemed to be talented and smart but maybe a little misunderstood. I loved her. I loved the show. I watched the whole thing until she left and I was such a fan. And the moment I found out that she was engaged and with Prince Harry, I was stoked. I was like, she's fantastic. She's a great advocate for women. She's an awesome actress. And I was really excited to see what she was going to do. Charlie and others thought that this interview with The Cut seemed to be the moment we would finally see the Megan of old. But it wouldn't be the case. Do you want to know a secret? I'm getting back on Instagram. These words are whispered to the journalist as a sort of secret to be shared. If you remember back when Meghan was in the process of signing up to become a member of the royal family, someone had neglected to tell her she needed to delete her Insta immediately. 
It was there her three million followers saw pictures of her in an incredible yoga pose in a bikini by the beach, lounging in a chair with her Ugg boot clad feet up, having brunch with friends, having a wine on a bright red couch and reading to her dog Guy on the set of Suits. But when she became a duchess, the account was closed and our insight into who Meghan was vanished. That could now easily be turned around. But further into the cut interview, Meghan ends up reversing her claim she's going back on the social media platform. Charlie says it's frustrating that she seems to be playing some sort of cat and mouse game because she wants to love Meghan, but she seems to keep proving the haters right. Yeah, I thought, especially now that she's not tied to the royal family and she can technically speak, that's what she said in the cut interview, I was like, now's the time to show us who you are. We don't know really who Meghan is anymore. She doesn't say a whole lot. She thinks everything through that she says and she's quite guarded and calculated, which is really sad because I just want to see the Meghan that we saw pre-royal family, which I know might not happen, but she said she'd get back on Instagram. Do it. Show us you. Show us your life. Be candid with us because I think people would really appreciate it and she would get her fans back who aren't really sure who she is. Alison P. Davis observed how with every question, Meghan seemed like she had a producer in her head telling her how to respond. In some cases, not even saying words, but instructing how to translate the moaning sound she's making instead. She explains how much they'd loved the house they now live in and that they initially couldn't afford it, but they did eventually buy it. The writer explaining how a lucrative $25 million Spotify and that $100 million Netflix deal enabled the purchase. But Megan then points to two palm trees on the lawn that are connected at the bottom explaining how Harry had seen them and said, my love, it's us. And that now little Archie says, hi, mama, hi, papa, every time he passes them. There is much gushing about their relationship, with Harry arriving at one point during the interview to explain how his wife can be both a model and a mother at the same time. They discuss how Harry has lost his father, even though Prince Charles is very much alive, hinting the rift may be too deep to ever go back. Questions about their plans for the Netflix deal go unanswered, despite Meghan telling the writer that her eye contact is good and she's so excited to talk. When asked about why she thinks they weren't allowed to change the way their roles were undertaken in the royal family when others were making similar changes, she responds with, Why do you think that is? A car ride to pick Archie up from school is interrupted when Megan produces a backpack from the back of the car and instructs her security to hand it to a homeless man they pass, telling the journalist that she's teaching Archie about the different places that people might live. The chat ends with Megan telling the writer that she hasn't signed anything restricting her from talking. But when asked why she doesn't then talk, she simply says, Still healing. So why isn't Meghan emerging from her royal-induced silence the way we thought she would? Has pre-royal Meghan been lost to the experiences she's been subject to since and the things she's been doing in order to rebuild her life as a wife and mother in the real world? Holly Wainwright is Mamma Mia's head of content and our regular royal enthusiast. Holly, what was Meghan actually trying to achieve with this interview, you think? It seemed a great opportunity to talk, so why hasn't she? I think... The piece itself, which I think is brilliantly written and very well put together by a very experienced journalist called Alison P. Davis, who apparently Megan handpicked from the cut New York magazine to come and spend a day with her and drive to daycare and hang out at their house and meet H, as we call Harry now. I think the idea was very much a sort of 
behind the wall inside my life. But because of the very nature of Harry and Meghan's fame and all of the controversy and all of the sort of barriers that have been set up around them, she can't really lift that. She can't really let somebody in. So the idea was to kind of do a bit of an at-home classic celebrity profile story. But as even Alison P. Davis says in the piece, it felt like, I'm going to tell you everything and then I'm backing away. I'm going to show you everything and then I'm backing away. So I think a lot of people were left a little bit frustrated about, not sure what I just read. You say like she can't take those barriers down. Why can't she? They've left the royal family. They've left royal life. Are there repercussions if she does let those barriers down? What is holding her back? I think it's a combination of things. So I think one of them is the very lucrative deals that they have in place with Netflix and Spotify. So as Megan says very openly in this piece, one of the things that's brilliant about it is Alison P. Davis gushes about their home and how the scale and style of it is breathtakingly California chic, peak of the pile, goop-esque, fabulous. And Megan says how when they first went to look at it, they couldn't afford it because they didn't have jobs. She says, we didn't have jobs. So we were like, we'd love to live there, but we can't. And then obviously they signed their Netflix deal and their Spotify deal, which are reportedly for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and they could afford it. And I think that one of the complications is that you don't get that level of investment in your content. So this also includes Prince Harry's forthcoming book and reportedly a sort of at-home TV show without guaranteeing some level of exclusivity. So there will be some limits on what they can share when with different journalists that are to do with financial deals. The other issue, of course, is that they still are royals. They might have left the royal family, but they're still officially the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And I think that while the Queen is still alive, I think there will still be some reins on what they do and don't say about the royals. Is the fact that the Queen is still alive and from all reports is actually quite poorly at the moment, do you think that that might be what's holding back the relaunch of Meghan and Harry, because they do have all these deals in the works, as you mentioned. There's the Netflix deal we just haven't really seen come to fruition, even though the deal was inked quite a while ago now. Do you think they're being respectful of Her Majesty and maybe holding back until, I don't know, she recovers miraculously or she sadly moves on? I do think there's an element of that because I think it feels a little contradictory that they're still holding on to these titles, given what they have publicly said about the royal family. And I think we're in a very high Meghan and Harry moment right now, because we've got the podcast, we've got this profile. This week, they're traveling to England and Germany, I think, for official engagements for the first time. Not official royal engagements, but engagements for charities that they're interested in. But those are public occasions. I think that while the Queen is still alive and Harry is always really careful to make sure that any criticism he has of the royal family, the firm, as we call them, does not reflect badly on the Queen. He's gone out of his way to say various times it wasn't them. And obviously at the Queen's Jubilee, he talked about going to visit her. And I think there is a careful protection around that. When the Queen passes and Charles becomes king and remodels the royal family by all accounts, I think the gloves may be off a little bit more for Harry. Some of the commentary about parts of the piece in the cut is, and it's hard to kind of say bad things about someone who seems to be doing good things, but the kids for the homeless. So she reportedly carries these around at all times and hands them out to people that she comes across in her travels, dropping Archie off at school or whatever. But 
is she trying to capture some of the Princess Diana kind of love or is this who Meghan Markle really is, you think? Gosh, if you listen to Meghan's podcast, she makes it very clear from the beginning that she was always a very earnest, well-intentioned girl. You know, she was, there's her words, ambitious from a young age and wanted to make the world better and she was a feminist and all these things. And I think that there's no question that that's a large part of the platform that she sees herself and Harry standing on is one that's serving a positive purpose. But it's very difficult to read that paragraph in particular about pulling over the car and handing the backpack to the security guard who then gets out of the car and goes and gives it. To, it's very hard to read that without an eye roll. And I just think with all the best will in the world for these young people who are obviously trying to affect good in the world, there's a certain tone deafness about that that some people say is a bit of a culture clash, a bit of an English American culture clash, but it just feels very performative to do that with a journalist in the car. It kind of lands really clunkily, I think, alongside the descriptions of the very lavish house, the descriptions of her and Harry seeing it and seeing these palm trees that are joined at the base and telling each other that it was representative of their love. Like, I think there's a large element of Megan can't win, whatever she does. But I also think that that kind of desire to maybe paint a very Oprah-esque figure feels a little bit premature for where they're at. I'm glad you brought up the palm trees because there's a few references to H, as you mentioned, as we call Harry now, throughout the piece and their relationship and their support for each other. And something somebody told me a long time ago is like, beware the couple who constantly talks themselves up on social media because often they're the ones who are struggling the most behind the scenes. And this is what made me feel that maybe Harry and Meghan aren't maybe okay because there's constant reminders from them that, guys, we're good, we're the best, we're okay. Does it feel like maybe they're also struggling with their relationship with everything that's gone on? Look, I think there is an enormous amount of pressure on that relationship. It's now basically in black and white that he is completely estranged from his family. And whatever you think about the royals, and they are a very dysfunctional, archaic, conservative, problematic bunch, but they are the only people who really understand Harry's world, right? Like what he grew up with, what happened to his mother, the pressure that's put on him and his brother, they are really the only people who get it. And if you think that now, as Megan states several times in this article, she says, we move together. She talks about how their love story is what she can't wait to share, presumably in the semi-reality show that's coming. I'm sure it won't be a reality show as we know it, but it'll be some kind of classy documentary version of that. They're at great pains to say that love wins out, love will conquer all. But I think that also that is an enormous amount of pressure on a couple to like us against the world. And I think that sometimes that works, but us against the world is backing yourselves into a very tight corner. It's a lot of pressure to be like, nobody understands us. It's just us two. The headlines following the release of The Cut Profile have been brutal. She enjoys being the victim, screams US TV host Meghan Kelly. Meghan Markle's comments final nail in the coffin for royal family relationships, says the Daily Mirror. So can Meghan ever really win? Can she capture the love that came before her walk down the royal aisle? And would actually just being candid and open from this point on turn things around? Holly says, probably not. I actually don't think she can win. And I think one of the reasons why is because 
in the process of extricating themselves from the royal machine, they have made themselves a shitload of very powerful enemies, not least the media. The British media in particular hates them. The American media are more welcoming and open because they love a celebrity and they love a success story and they don't have issues with living the billionaire lifestyle while being philanthropic. That's quite a well-established American tradition. But the British media hates them. Harry and Meghan criticize the media every opportunity they get. So I think it is very difficult for them to win. And I think that if Meghan and Harry weren't doing anything, weren't putting out work into the world, they would be criticized for being freeloaders. Doing work makes them seem like they're a bit hungry and money grabby. So they're in a very difficult position. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producers, Liv Proud and Kelly Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. Thanks to anyone listening who's become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. And you'll be helping to fund girls in schools in some of the most disadvantaged countries in the world through our partnership with Room to Read. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes. <laughs>